Geeks, it's Ian Paget here, back after a short break with a new look and new music too, which I'm really excited about. I think it helps to give the podcast so much more character and hopefully helps to take the show to that next level. I'm going to be talking about audio branding on an upcoming episode uh, with the team who helped to create the music. But this week, As it's Halloween, this is a themed episode where I will be chatting to a handful of different people from the Logo Geek community about their client horror stories. This is going to be a little bit of fun, but after each story, we'll discuss the lessons learned from the experience, which I hope will help you avoid the same terrible situations. I think the key thing with any nightmare situation like this is to learn from them and to adjust your process to avoid that situation happening again. Uh, Be that looking out for red flags during the sales process, updating your process to prevent that from happening, or most importantly, having a well-written contract that clearly states what happens and when. For those of you who don't yet have a contract, I do want to point you towards Michael Jander's freelancing course, uh, module three of that specifically, which does include proposal templates, including one specifically for uh, logo design services, as well as a separate service agreement template, which is the uh, contract document that includes all of the terms and conditions, which is the most important thing. And that's all part of a course. So you'll also have access to uh, high quality videos that talk through each of those documents in detail so that you have a proper understanding of all of the details within it, which I think is important to understand properly. So you can find that by heading to logogeek.uk forward slash freelance. If you are a freelancer or someone interested in becoming a freelancer, I do actually recommend the whole uh, six-part course as it will help you to operate a successful design business. But uh, you can get just module three on its own too. So if you do want to go and check that out, again, it's logogeek.uk forward slash freelance. And for transparency, that is an affiliate link. So if you do purchase the course, Via that link, you'll be helping to support the Logo Geek podcast at no extra cost to you. So let's dive into these horror stories. We have five in total to share. And first, I'm joined by Katie Cope for the first scary tale. Okay, so Katie, thanks so much for coming on. Would you mind sharing with us your client horror story yeah no problem so when I was first starting out as a designer and thinking that this is what I want to do as a career I decided to do the whole sort of let's get going with it and I um, put out a few emails saying I will do some graphics free of charge 
um, somebody came back to me in which they worked for a theater company and said, oh, can you do my program for me? And I was like, this is great. This is brilliant. I've got like full on rain um, in terms of design work. And so I made this really, really beautiful program. It was had like a blue cover on it. It was lovely. It was gorgeous. And I sent it to her. And then she suddenly came back and went, it's not reading properly. I can't see all the all the um, the fonts and things. It's not printing properly. And I was like, well, that's a bit strange. So I lightened it up a little bit, and then it kept going back and forth. And she's going, no, I still can't see it. No, it's still not looking good. And then I suddenly realised because she suddenly put it on an email, and she's just like, it's just not coming out right on my desktop printer. And I was like, oh. <sighs> you're doing it on a desktop printer (laughs) (laughs) so it got to sort of the seventh or eighth sort of revision of this thing and then she suddenly turned around to me and said this is really unprofessional but don't worry you're still learning about it and I was just like right okay this is this has to end now so I think I literally like completely changed the design and went you know what it's on white there you go she's like oh yeah I can see it now and I was like great thanks (laughs) I was just like I'm done so yeah I think it took around about 10 revisions by the end of it and I did this completely free of charge oh what a nightmare so I mean after doing that experience I know that was quite early on yeah what what did you learn from that the biggest thing that I learned was I vowed never to do anything for free without a contract in place (laughs) (laughs) so there was no contract in place um I don't normally do things free of charge anyway um if I do it's with somebody that I really really know well and I want to help them out um it also made me realize to value my worth because this person was asking me for my experience my creativity because it's something that they couldn't do themselves that's why they were asking me to do it and the fact that they were asking for loads and loads of revisions was like you know what you need to pay what what my worth is and and value my worth um so now in my contract as well as because now i've got a business i have like in my contract that i charge for revisions. so once it goes over a certain stage i make sure that i get those um i get those revisions and i get get paid to do those revisions on their behalf yeah absolutely well i i think in general uh when doing free work I don't see anything wrong with that when there's it's mutually beneficial for both of you but as you pointed out you do need a contract and I think it's worth still putting in the full price Mm -hmm. and showing like a discount so at least they are aware of what it's worth and um, you know if they maybe speak to some friends or whatever about the project at least they can also see um, the the price of that and hopefully they'll see the the value value. but yes it's all a learning experience isn't it so hopefully this story will help uh, someone else out there yeah so Katie how how can the audience learn more about you? So you can learn all about me. I have a website. I run a, a company which is all to do with brand design and brand strategy. And my website is www.brandbykatie.co.uk. Um, and I do full on brand design and brand strategy. Excellent. Thank you so much, Katie, for being part of this episode. And next, we're joined by Ephraim Shum with another printer-related nightmare. Well, I know you kindly offered to share a story with the community, uh, a client horror story. Do you want to dive into that story for us? Sure, sure. Um, Well, in 2015, I was working outside Washington, D.C., in a small design firm that my father had started. So it was a family business. And uh, at that time I was tasked with a lot of different things though I had the, um, though I had the title 
of senior art director, I was given a lot of responsibility, even doing project management and a lot of the hands-on design, even down to the production of uh, mainly websites and printed materials. So I was doing a lot of websites at the time. I had just started kind of new to Illustrator. I had used it for creating background shapes and things like that, that I could import into InDesign or use it, you know, uh, in conjunction with Photoshop for creating web graphics. And so I didn't really have a whole lot of uh, experience with it in terms of creating charts for an annual report that I was working on. So annual reports, uh, if you're familiar with them, they can be pretty long, they can be pretty short. Uh, this one was kind of a medium-sized report. It had a few uh, pages for the editorial section. That's the part up front that has kind of the story about the company, some of the progress that they've made throughout the year. And then the financial data, that's kind of more about the numbers um, that would you know take place in the back of the, of the report. So I was really tasked with the whole thing, had my hands in it, getting really busy. And you know, if, as most designers know, you get so down in the weeds with a project, you often forget to just kind of check things like little breadcrumbs as you go and you know, check your progress and look at the details. And so just kind of getting into the project there, I had wrapped everything up. I had created these beautiful pie charts and uh, tabular data on one of the pages. And the pie charts really reflected what was going on uh, in the tabular data. So you'd have percentages and numbers and uh, went ahead and set up the pie charts to reflect that tabular data in uh, in Illustrator. And that data, the tabular data was in InDesign. So that was kind of there. And I was familiar with InDesign, not, no problem there. Uh, with the pie charts, a little bit different, working in that. Uh, imported those, placed those next to that data in InDesign. Got everything ready. I had pre-flighted the document in InDesign. I went ahead and packaged all the files, proofed everything very carefully and send it out to the printer through FTP at the time. You know, now you can upload through the web, but I was using an FTP tool uh, to go ahead and do that. So, you know, everything's great. I About a week later, I see the soft proof. It's a PDF and then hard proof, which was kind of like a Kodak approval proof at the time. Um, so I got that digital version. I got the hard proof. Well, the printer was... Um, the client actually was dealing with the printer directly. And that's kind of something that it can be kind of dicey if you don't know who that printer is. You're not really in that relationship as part of that relationship between the client, the printer, and of course, me being the designer. Um, so kind of was out of the loop there. And that's kind of the first mistake. You never want to be out of the loop entirely. You know, you want to be involved in it you know, in some, in some aspect, didn't want a press inspection. The client felt the budget wasn't there for a press inspection. So the proof looked great. And, uh, you know, went on from there, not a problem. Great. We're anticipating another successful project. Well, it wasn't a dark and stormy night and I wasn't working in a lab anywhere, <laughs> you know, but in fact, it was a beautiful early spring morning, I was sitting at my desk preparing for the day, you know, over a cup, cup of coffee. And uh, the printer van, the printer's delivery van showed up and 
I signed for the box. And of course, I opened the box and I'm ripping open the, the shrink wrap cellophane around the samples that you get. I always requested about 10 to 15 samples. And, uh, you know, you get that smell of varnish coming mm-hmm. off the, mm-hmm. oh, man, you, you know, you're like putting it up to your nose. People are looking at you a little bit crazy. Oh, know? yeah. I, <laughs> I love, I love, print, you know, freshly printed uh, bracelets and stuff like that. I totally understand. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it, this was on an uncoated piece. So they, you know, they hit it with a good amount of varnish just to prevent, you know, ink from, you know, transferring from one page to the next. So it was, it was just really nice. I opened it up. I'm going through, you know, you're looking at your design masterpiece. It's like Christmas, you know, Christmas morning, you got this thing. Well, <laughs> Christmas, yeah, Christmas turned into Halloween pretty quickly uh, when I hit the financials page and my heart started pounding rapidly. I had the cold sweat beads, you know, they began settling on my forehead. I was in immediate fear and panic and, uh, what did I come across? I'm looking at these pie charts and the white text of the pie charts is completely missing. All the percentages are gone. All the labels are gone. (laughs) It's sitting over top of this nice dark background and it's all missing. So I'm of course like, oh, numbers are going through my head. We're going to have to reprint this thing. You know, it's going to be thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. Is this going to come out of my paycheck? I'm working for my dad. So then I got to hear it on a personal level. You know, then I start hearing about stuff I did when I was five years old, that kind of thing. <laughs> you know, it's just family business, I guess. But, yeah, um, yeah. So I I did what most people would do. I kind of hid for a while and I was anticipating a phone call from the client right away. You know, they got their their delivery a little bit sooner than I had. And uh, I'm sitting there and I'm sweating it and uh, I just don't know what to do. I'm expecting, you know, a phone call. I pick up and it says, I know what you did last winter or something like that. <laughs> you know, heavy breathing. Or maybe I, I know what you didn't do last winter, which was you didn't uncheck the overprint fill box in Adobe Illustrator's attributes panel. So that's what I learned a little bit later after some research, I did what you're supposed to do, which is get on Google before you do these things. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, I thought of calling the client because I'm kind of like, I, I want to be responsible with this. I want to point out that there was an error. But then again, you know, do you want to even mention it? The only heavy breathing that would be done would be from my side, from the anxiety, you know, talking to the client. So I just said, now I'm going to research this a little bit. I went into Adobe Illustrator after reading through Google and I found out, yeah, the overprint fill box was checked for all oh. of the white. Yeah, all the white text. So instead <laughs> of knocking out, if you're familiar with print, you're, you you want to knock the white text out to the white of the page, the paper. That's what's producing the white ink color, or the white color, because it's not really a white ink. You can print white inks with engraving and things like that, but... No, not here. I wanted it to knock out. And uh, so the overprint fill caused it to disappear. I soon learned that if you just check, just check overprint preview for things like this, which is under the view menu in uh, in Adobe Illustrator, you can get you can get around these things pretty quick. Isn't that also the type of thing that a proof would have picked up as well if you had one done? 
Well, yes, and that's the crazy part because yeah. <laughs> the PDF proof it showed it just fine. Illust or Adobe InDesign allowed it to come through. So there were yeah, some things yeah. that were going on in, in InDesign <laughs> too. And then I'm wondering, well, maybe like the rip, you know, uh, on the printer side, maybe it did something funky or I don't know their process. But that's another thing that I'll talk about. So, when, so how did you yeah. resolve this situation? Because I, I can imagine uh-huh. that the client wasn't happy. and No, uh-huh. it, it, the, <laughs> the client, well, here's the great part about it, Ian. You know, you you tend to panic and you create this fear and as you paint pictures, I think it's just being creative. You start to have this visual story of what's going to happen. And like I said, I wanted to be responsible and mention this to the client. And, you know, I probably should have, but I waited on it a little bit and nothing happened and nothing happened. And in fact, I got an email a couple of days later because I was sitting on this just panicking that said, great job. We love it. This isn't, this no is one way. of the best. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is one of the best reports you've done, that kind of thing. And it makes you feel so good. And I still get my, you know, have my fingers crossed and please don't ever see that, you know. Oh, uh, you so, had a real close shave there. So tell oh, us yeah. what lessons did you learn from that? And what would you do differently after that uh, particular situation happened? Sure. Well, on the technical side, I would say always check um, check things that you don't know. Obviously, I didn't know. I had never had this happen before, so I'm learning through experience. Of course, it's a very expensive experience if you have to pay for it, but you always check those technical things. Um, check the overprint preview. Now that I know that, if you're going forward, especially on logos, sometimes logos that are set to reverse out, they'll uh, you know, someone, the designer will inadvertently check the box over print fill for the graphic because it works with graphics too. Mm-hmm. And so now that that logo that's sent out, for example, will now disappear possibly in the layout or wherever it's placed. So you have to be very careful with that. Check those things. Also, I was working solo and I know there are a lot of freelancers in the community, and, you know, people that are working by themselves you really have to have someone check things for you from spelling and grammar. That's a given, but learning to look at all of the details as you go and have other people do that, even reading things backwards and upside down and looking on screen and, you know, tr- just trying a lot of different things, asking questions really does help. Um, another thing is having a close relationship with the printer. So you mentioned, you know, maybe the, the printer should have you know, caught this or maybe the proof should have caught this. So sometimes printers have a little way that they do things, you know, that's kind of to them. Uh, If you can go ahead and kind of work with that printer, have a closer relationship, even if you're not handling the printing, if you're not brokering that printing, um, just staying in contact and knowing how they work, that's really going to help. And then the other thing I would say is, at least in InDesign, don't trust your pre-flight panel. Because the pre-flight panel will often have, by default, the uh, it, it will have overprint, the checking for overprint, not, you know, it's not installed or not, um, it's not in place. And then um, probably the last and most important thing is you don't need to mention the problem to everyone. The problem may exist to you. But it really becomes a problem when you start sharing it with other people that may not even notice it. And I know it sounds like I'm saying 
try to hide things from your client, not at all. But I think that if if you wait a little while on things, you know, um, I think we just kind of set ourselves up sometimes. We unintentionally scare ourselves, kind of like putting the jacket on the back of your bedroom door and then you wake up in the middle of the night and you're kind of half asleep and you see this ominous figure standing by your door. <laughs> now it's actually turning into a proper you, you Halloween horror story now. <laughs> oh, yeah, you guys, so don't let, that, don't let that haunt you too much. Don't set yourself up for, for scary things like that. Um, so this isn't really a story about, a, you know, client um, posing this issue or this happening, but this is more about how you can actually create your own horror stories if you're not very careful. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, no, you know, things can always potentially um, go wrong. In, in this case, I, um, I I personally point some blame at the printer. I've had that before. I've um, ordered stuff up, had proof sent over, and then the actual things arrived. And uh, I ordered up some business cards, and I actually they actually spelt the name wrong, <laughs> wow. but it was fine on the proof. So um, that's what I would have done uh, if if it did uh, come back to me, because you could be like, "Oh, we checked the proofs and everything like that, and it all looked great." Um, <laughs> yeah, you yeah. Know, you're, you're keeping those things in your back pocket. I will say that I did have things in my back pocket. I didn't want to cast any blame, but you're also, oh yeah, yeah, I'm thinking somebody should have caught this on that side, and it's yeah, entirely definitely. my fault. Yeah, definitely. Well, thank you so much for sharing your horror story. Um, very much uh, appreciated. And um, so that people can uh, find you online and follow, do you want to share? Uh, where they can go and check out your work and more information about you? Sure. So I um, I've since started my own kind of spinoff. My father retired, but I'm now at Shum Creative. That's S-C-H-U-M creative.com. I have my portfolio there. I'm still working on it. I know a lot of people say that, but I'm in the, in the revision stage right now using more of a drag and drop interface to redo that site. But that's where you'll find me right now. Thank you, Ephraim. I shall link to that in the show notes for this episode, along with everyone else's that's been part of this. And next, we're joined by John Bermudez, who's sharing a client ghost story. So, John, thank you for uh, being part of this Halloween special. Can you share your uh, Halloween horror story with us? (laughs) Uh, Hello, hello. Hello, everyone. So I come from a a small island in the Pacific, and it's one of those, it's kind of like a small town where everybody knows everybody. And um, so it's always kind of strange to me, or it was in the beginning, uh, to ask people for deposits before starting projects. Uh, So normally how it goes is once I built a little bit of trust with the client, uh, then it's like I can just continue to do projects for them because you know, the trust is established and I know where they live and everybody knows everybody here. So uh, for my local projects, I generally just do a, a deposit for the initial project. And then for ongoing projects, a lot of times I, you know, I don't collect because things have gone well. Um, uh, this is a story about why I never do that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so... I was approached by a a charitable organization to work on some collateral projects that they had, and it went really swimmingly, and uh, everything went well, and they were happy, and I was happy. 
And so after this went well, the, um, the client actually owns a lot of businesses here. And so for the next project, it was a commercial project. They're on a timeline to get it done. And so they asked me if I could start working on it. And I said, okay, sure, without collecting that initial deposit. And of course, this is where you know things go wrong. So I had met the client over the weekend uh, because there's some kind of rush to get the packaging design to China. It was like maybe a Saturday. And he asked if we could crank it up by Sunday night because he needed it. Uh, and I said, oh, sure, that's fine, that's fine. So I met him on a Saturday, like at a bank. It was, it was kind of strange. His, his, his family was there. And so I kind of met all of them. And uh, we sat down at the bank for like five minutes. And he kind of just went over everything he needed. And he said, can I get this by Sunday? And, you know, of course, with, with packaging, it's hard. Uh, but uh, it was relatively simple, uh, not not a complex project. So I said, okay, um, got everything done on the Sunday night, emailed it off. And uh, I remember sending him uh, an email, you know, hopefully you get this and, you know, we're, we are ready to go by Monday morning. And so the Monday comes and I, I text him, you know, I sent you the designs last night and emailed him, you know, because I am concerned because, you know, they, they need to get this in by Monday. And so I call him, uh, doesn't answer. I follow up the following week, you know, because he still hasn't said anything about it and sent him a reminder that if we are, you know, delaying the project, that's fine. I just need a deposit for it, you know, at, at the very least. And so this is uh, maybe in October. I generally don't like to bug clients too much for small projects, you know, because, you know, the amount isn't that much and it's not like the end of the world if things get pushed, but... I noticed that he wasn't responding to any of my calls or emails or texts. Uh, so every month I would just send him a reminder like, hey, um, I still, you know, how, how is it going? Are we delayed on this? You know, um, I, reminder, I need my deposit. And so uh, I send this email maybe once a month. Um, so November goes by, December, January, all the way up until the following summer next year. It's like June or something. And he texts me out of the blue. Hey, on that first project, um, I can't find the final files anywhere. Uh, do you mind uploading it to Dropbox? And I said, oh. And then he also sends me a text. Oh, will there be any charge for this? Question mark. And I, you know, I sent a text back. Oh, you know, I'm happy to provide the, the files for you. It's you know, you paid for it, and it's fine. I will do it at no cost. But I do need you to pay at least a deposit for this project that's been on hold for eight months. And he sends me like three or four question marks via text, you know, really question mark, question mark, question mark. Uh, and so he says, let me call you. The call starts out polite enough, but then it went very sour very quickly. Uh, before I know it, I'm in the middle of my office and he is just screaming at me saying, you know, you know we paid for this stuff. It's ours. Why are you holding it hostage? Uh, but he continued to yell at me for like a good like five, ten minutes. And once he was done, I politely said, you know, oh, that's a lie. I was actually pretty pissed. So I was also yelling back, you know, like we're really, you know, two grown men arguing over, you know, such a small amount, you know. And I I told him it's it's not the amount that matters, it's the principle of it. You know, you want me to reprovide something you provided, and I'm happy to do that for you. But you've been ducking me for the last nine months on this 
you know, on, on money you do owe me, you know, you, you owe me at least 50% and that's non-negotiable. You know, I just, uh, did not seek to get that fee initially because we were in a rush and I didn't want that to push back the project, you know, because, and also for the weekend, you know, so you think that it would be come Monday, you know, I'd get paid and, you know, it's, it's a rush, but you know, here I am. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Here I am on a, a rush project in limbo over a small amount. I, at this point, I'm just in disbelief about this because, you know, the, the guy comes from a charitable organization. He's someone who's well respected. So, uh, and so I was, I was just shocked, you know, um, especially because I had met his whole family and they're all super nice. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, I was, whenever I have a client like that where, Everything seems to be thumbs up and it's going really well. I'm always, there's always, you know, a voice in the back of my head to not be too trusting, you know. But in this instance, I kind of let my guard down. You know, I had met like, because it was over the weekend, I had met like his family and his kids and stuff, you know. So <laughs> so it was a very like unique situation to go from like a really happy place to like a really angry, we'll never work Yeah, again. yeah. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, you know, that's the last time I heard from him. He was like, he, he was a ghost and then he resurrected and, you know, murdered me with words. And then, you know, now he's been cast back into the shadow realm, you know? <laughs> so, so did he pay you in the end? Uh, yeah, you know, he, uh, he sent me a, a really nice email about, you know, and apologies were sent back and forth and good. And <laughs> And we never spoke again, you know, he's, he's, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, what lessons did you learn from that? Was there anything that you've uh, done different, differently after that experience? Yes, of course. Uh, I had broken my, my, probably my only real rule for doing this, which is get paid up front, you know, even, you know, whatever it is, always get paid up front. You know, that's, that's the lesson here. Because you never know when the client's going to ghost you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I actually had um, a similar experience uh, recently. Um, but in my case, I, I did take that 50% up front. But I, I think there's... Um, uh, where it can become a problem is when you can become quite trusting of someone. And that's exactly what I did. I had a client where... I uh, I worked with them already. So we'd already started one project. He wanted to book in a second project. And um, what happened was that the first project wasn't quite finished and then started on the second project. But because he was such a great guy and, and such a fast payment, what I did is once the project was finished, I sent over the files, sent over the invoice, and then just cracked on with the next project. Um, but what happened, similar to you, kept needing to chase for payments month after month after month and I would do the same thing as you and uh it didn't feel like there was any sign of the the final payments ever being made so I, I think uh trust is uh when you're running a, a business personally I found that you can't really trust anyone <laughs> so what I do now is um uh, prior to sending over any files, I always send over the invoice prior to releasing um, any file just because you never know who's going to uh, cause a problem. Uh, that guy ended up having to go through uh, like a small claims court to get 
uh, most of the money from him um and uh i didn't really want to go through that but you know that's that's what it came to and eventually i did get uh, the, the 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 bulk of the payment uh, from him but obviously it was uh, stress it was a nightmare so um, I can imagine this type of thing uh, happens quite a lot so yeah definitely payment up front no, no matter who it is or, or what the the deadlines are it's uh, it, like are they really serious about the project if they're not happy to pay 50% up front <laughs> or whatever percentage up front you want to do yeah like you said, whoever it is, you know, if if your mom wants to book you for a project, make sure she pays half a friend. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm, I'm sort of joking about this, but but the point is, you know, whatever the payment is, if she's going to make you a sandwich, you know, you can't have the sandwich up front. <laughs> but, <laughs> well, you know, but it's also a psychological thing, you know, because once, you know, once they've put money down on it, then they are invested in it. So it's also part of smoothing the process because, you know, your time is worth money. So yeah. if you're even talking to them, then you've initially already invested, you know, something into it. Um, and so their investment needs to be monetary. That way there's, you know, it makes the relationship equal. Yeah. You know, of, of course, when we get a client that we like, you know, we want to continue working with them and, and the money's good, then we want to just keep things flowing. You want to, you want to remove obstacles to the project, but, what we don't realize, you know, to our horror is that when that, you know, investment isn't made, then the, how they treat you is completely different. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think when there's no money on the table, a project isn't always uh, taken seriously. So getting a down payment ensures there's a commitment to the project on uh, both sides of the uh, table. Yeah. So, John, where can people find out more about you? Uh, sure. Um, for my logo design work, I'm on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, uh, and on the web uh, at Ladrone Creative. Uh, Ladrone is L-A-D-R-O-N Creative. Thank you, John. That was a fantastic ghost story with lots of lessons learned. And just before I jump on to these last two horror stories, one of them involving the police, uh, which you won't want to miss. As this is a Halloween special, I've asked people in the Logo Geek community to share their pumpkin creations. And I want to give a quick shout out to three people. Firstly, to Jeff Bauer, who created an incredible werewolf pumpkin, which is amazing. Uh, also, Jason Cardill, who this year used carving tools to create a relief face in his pumpkin, which is really cool. Um, I've yet to try anything quite like that. Um, I can see it took a while, but I, I might try something like that myself uh, next year just to do something a little bit different. And lastly, Alicia Kronakis, hopefully I pronounced that correctly, who created an incredible tabletop display, uh, which looks a little bit like one of those teacup rides with five pumpkins all painted up. It has lights and everything. Apparently it rotates too. Um, I've personally never seen anything quite like that. So thank you, Alicia, for sharing that. It is hard to describe exactly uh, what this looks like. So if you want to see an image, make sure you go and check out the show notes for this episode where I share images of that as well as the two others. And you can find that just by heading to logogeek.uk forward slash 101. So let's get back to these horror stories. Next, I'm joined by Carol Lopez, who shares a monstrous client tale. 
Carol, thanks so much for joining us on this Halloween special. Can you share with us your horror story? <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> it started long, long time ago. <laughs> I was presenting an idea for a client and I I thought I made a, a really concise presentation. I made several slides uh, explaining the concept of, and what I what I was thinking, and she was silent the whole presentation. <laughs> Didn't say a word, and I kept talking. And I explained her, uh, her to her. I showed her my design, and in the end, she just looked at me and said, "That's not quite what I wanted." I did not think that was that this is what why you was presenting, and I really don't know what I want. But if you have a catalog, logo catalog or something, <laughs> something along the lines, I could just flip through it and see if I like something. I could choose a logo from this catalog, and then you only have to change something a bit there and we will be fine <laughs> do you have any logo catalog for for me to see oh my god and I, was oh my god. I, I can't believe that someone actually asked that question because um i i would understand it if you're doing something from stock images but when you're creating something bespoke that's uh you know gonna eventually become a trademark no designer is gonna have a catlog they might have a portfolio that they can share but that's um that's the point a funny thing for to hiring as you hire right so you don't have yeah a pre-made something. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know that was quite an unusual situation. I, although I do know that um, designers are frequently faced with the the challenge where a client might not potentially uh, like what you uh, done. But how would you uh, potentially avoid that in the future? Was there any lessons that you learned from that experience? I understood that the client needs to be a hundred percent um checking what you're doing uh, they need to know what you're thinking they need to know what you're uh, where you're going uh from where you going where you're starting uh, your thinking and from this experience i started to share more with the client before presenting i started to sharing uh, mood boards i started to sharing more uh, of my understanding of the briefing they passed me i started to um give more deliverables for for him for them to uh, approve you know mm -hmm. for them to know what i'm thinking to know uh what direction i'm taking and i think it, it has been working so far uh, never heard this question again. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I, I think it's I, I think it's challenging with logo design specifically because um, it's very easy to look at something like a logo in a subjective way. So to review it almost like a, a piece of art. So I, I think this is a, a problem that can come up quite frequently for designers and 
Um, do you want me to talk through how I I do? I think it might be useful for the audience as well. Yeah, sure. Um, because I, th- this is this is a challenge that I um, I I I had uh, quite frequently when I first started out. I'm I'm getting a lot better now, and you know that type of thing is quite rare. But mm-hmm. to try and encourage the client to review everything and look at everything in a very objective way, yeah. I work with goals in mind and I, I don't know if this is how you work um so you can uh, um, uh, speak about that afterwards if you want to uh, but how I work is at the beginning of the project I basically ask lots of questions about their business their competition their target audience I create a list of goals then when I'm designing stuff I reference back to those goals. When I present, I reference back to those goals. I forgot to mention that I get the I get those goals signed off by the client. And I actually, um, from the sales process to when we kick off, I do um, explain to them that logo design is the type of thing that, that's easy to look at in a very subjective way, almost as, as a piece of art. But we need to make sure that we look at it more as a strategic tool and um, review everything in a very objective way and I find uh working with goals and presenting back to the goals and uh keep referring back to the goals it helps most clients you know like 99 out of 100 clients yeah uh focus on uh quite objective goals but I know things like uh starscapes work for some people mood boards and so on to uh kind of clarify a uh, direction because things like um, you know goals things like words they can be communicated differently by different people so uh, doing what you did you know adding in mood boards or starscapes or anything like that can help uh, provide a little bit of initial clarity at the beginning uh, to to iron out potential issues like in in uh, that particular case you had <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah you're right um I think it, this back and forth is something that most designers avoid, but it's yeah. an important part of the process, right? It, yeah. It's what uh, keep you f- keeping you from uh, redrawing further along the process. And when you start gathering uh, information, as you said, um, brand information, uh, uh, yeah. uh, a brief well-made will will do that for you. Yeah, absolutely. And when you start gathering that, it's easier for you to go back and forth than when I did. <laughs> when I presented the logo, it is more difficult for me to go back and forth and refine the briefing or trying to, to get what I didn't in the first interview with the client. And I think mm-hmm. you're right. That's important. Uh, we don't have to yeah, be afraid to, to go back in the process a few steps and rethink some things. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, Cara, where can people find out more about you? Well, um, I'm putting a portfolio, portfolio on Behance. Um, you can find me there at behance.net slash mamaboss. Thank you, Carol, for being part of this episode. And now for the final story of the hour. This time I'm joined by Arun Sharma, 
he wraps up this episode with a nightmare tale of doom involving the police. Aaron, thanks so much for coming on. Would you mind sharing with us your horror story? <laughs> okay, so this is like uh, back in, uh, I think, 2016. Yeah, 2016. Uh, I, I was still new to freelancing. I had only been doing this for uh, one, one and a half years, but uh, they were not very big projects. And I was trying to get everything I can, like, you know, uh, from branding to graphic design to UI, UX, anything that I can get my hands on, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, there was this um, client. They got referred to me by a friend of mine. And uh, since I had been living with that friend, I was like, you know, let's just talk to them and figure out what are they, you know, what do they want? So we had Mm -hmm, a meeting. mm -hmm. I went there and we talked and uh, right out of the bat, there was a couple of red flags. But I was like, you know, let's just give it a go ahead and see, figure out. So we had a discussion what the project will look like and how the stages will be and all of that. And I explained it to them that there will be a contract that will be sending you. Uh, Once you sign that, you'll have to submit. Uh, I, I used to take a yeah, 40% deposit, mm-hmm. which will be non-refundable. Uh, I explained it verbally and written it in the contract and, uh, which will be non-refundable if any point in time we try to decide to, you know, it's not going to work out and you want to move away from the mm-hmm. project. Mm-hmm. So anyway, uh, so it goes by and then I move on to the wireframing stage. It's just, uh, for people who don't, are not familiar with UI or UX, wireframing is basically you figure out, uh, if you figure out the basic structure of the app uh, or the website or whatever it is, and you don't try to put in much details, it's just gray, uh, whatever boxes you use, just to, you know, lock in the flow of the app. So I used, I, I made wireframes and I sent it to them and they were like, suddenly there was a big blowback. They were like, wait, why is it all like grayish? Why, where are the colors? Where are the pictures? And uh, I'm like, uh, hey, this is a, uh, this is just a wireframe space. So, you know, we know how the app will flow, how the user will go through all of it. So once that is done, then we can focus on visual design because visual design is like, um, uh, it's not that important at this point because we need to figure out how the app will work. Mm-hmm. So uh, they didn't understand that. And they were like, no, 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 uh, you know, this is not going to work. And uh, uh, we need to see these colors and, you know, where the images and all of that to keep kept on you know saying all of that so i was like um okay uh like i i tried to explain to them in the you know best possible way but um they weren't listening uh literally they, seriously uh, they were not listening at all they were like they kept on going whatever they're saying then um you know i was like okay you know what I, I'll, I'll come back to you with uh something and then i sat and after the call and kind of uh, you know, thought to myself, is it even worth it? Because the project isn't that like, you know, big, it's like just 10,000 uh, rupees, which w- which is less than $200. And uh, I thought to myself and I was like, you know what, maybe I should just, you know, uh, tell them, Hey, I'm not going to be able to do it. And um, I'm going to re- re- refund the amount that 40% uh, as a professional courtesy, because you are, you came through my friend and, uh, so I called them up and I told them that, hey, uh, there is a certain process that we follow and uh, I don't think I'm the right person to do it if you want to skip that thing. And suddenly the guy, he's, he got angry, like weirdly angry. It's like, seriously, it's like I offended him somehow. And he started uh, telling me that uh, the company he works for, they pay him. Uh, around uh, 5,000 rupees per day and you wasted 10 days of my time. So give me my 50,000 or something like that. 
uh yeah that was like very weird wait wait so you you offered to give him you you gave him the money back for the project and he's demanding more money from you <laughs> no so for his time yeah so i offered that hey you know what you have come through a friend and as a professional courtesy since it is not working out i'm going to give you the 4000 rupees back uh-huh. uh, just send me the account number and i'll uh, you know uh, make the transaction instead of giving me his account number or like you know walking away he's like you wasted my time you're going to have to pay me 50000 i don't want 4000 and all of that because you know my time is this valuable and all of that uh, and he got angry like you know really really angry and then i was like uh, hey um, you know i don't even have to pay you back it's just that uh, it, you know as a professional courtesy i'm doing it because i i feel like you know uh, maybe we got on uh, got off on the wrong foot and uh, you know it, it's, not, it's not worth it so and it's in the contract that you know i can keep that money and uh, he's like yeah well the contract was in your favor all along and I, i'm like if it w- felt like that then why didn't you ask me to edit those clauses like you know you shouldn't have signed it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then he's like you know what i'll see you in court i'll send my uh, send uh, a notice from my lawyer and all of that and we'll see how it turns out and i was shit scared i was like yeah i was really scared I, I, this is what 2016 so like 4 years ago i was 21 years old and i was like man what the hell this is the first time it's happening <laughs> I, I, seriously i'm still feeling i'm still feeling that anxiety yeah yeah no <laughs> i i totally understand i know any any time i've had any kind of confrontation with any client it's it's unpleasant no one likes to do that so um you have every right to be scared when you was 21 and when you uh you know even even now it's a yeah. <laughs> it's a scary thing so so what happened next <laughs> so 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 basically i i'm like uh, i'm i'm literally you know uh like walking around because after the call i'm really scared i'm like i have this contract but what if it comes to like real lawyer stuff and what am i what i'm going to do so mm-hmm. uh, so in a, in a, in a in a panic i actually went online and looked for a lawyer who deals in this kind of a thing and uh, i i i basically uh, hired him uh, basically paid him his consultation fee and asked him hey can you look at this contract and you know uh, see if i'm at risk like you know if I, i they can do something about it or something like that so he he looked at it and he said no it's it's completely fine whatever you told me uh, it checks out but from next time i would suggest if when you are backing out like uh, for for it was basically the same kill fee that is if any party uh, you know decide because i had downloaded it as a template from somewhere mm-hmm. from online so it was like mm-hmm. uh, if any party decides to walk away from the project the kill fee is like you know uh, not re- non refundable the 40% is non refundable and uh, he was like maybe next time you know try to uh, do, get that contingency as well what if you want to go out and you know all that so i was like but he he assured me that there's nothing going to happen if they send you a notice from their lawyer let me know uh, i will handle it so days goes days go by like one week around then i suddenly get a message from him that uh, you are you know returning me my money or else or else or else and i'm like uh, i am ready to return your 4000 rupees just tell me your account number and i and i wrote it in the email you know i i i recorded it very written uh, because mm-hmm. because i knew i knew one slip up and you know it's going to be because this guy was like really really uh, I don't know scary. So Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so what happened was um uh, a few days later uh once there was a sil- like it was silent from their side and a few days later 
uh, I, I was mailing them or replying to the same thread every week, every two, three days mm-hmm. that, hey, uh, as asked, can you give me your account number? So anyway, uh, after two, like few days, uh, I get a call. I, I was walking somewhere or something and I get a call from, um, uh, I get a call and I pick it up and this guy, he's like, uh, uh, yes, I, I am a police inspector of this and this uh, police station here in Bangalore. And uh, I have this person with me and he's saying that you have taken his money for and I have not done his work and all of that. And I'm like, sir, let me explain. Uh, I have asked him to, you know, give me his account number so I can return his money, but he's not giving me his account number. What can I do? So I think he talked to him like while on call, he's like, uh, give him your account number and he'll like, you know, transfer. If he doesn't, then let me know. And, mm-hmm. and so, yeah, and then, and then uh, a few hours later, I, I have a mail that uh, this is the account number and I send it back to him and never heard from him. <laughs> so that was it. <laughs> Unbelievable. Unbelievable. I mean, that, that is a, a <laughs> that is a horrible horror story, <laughs> yeah. but I think it's important to talk about this type of thing because I know this type of thing happens. Um, yeah. In the agency where I used to work, uh, there was a project that we uh, started and something similar happened. Like we we actually started working on the project and the guy, it was slightly different to your situation because we got quite far into the project. But um, the, the guy was planning to send around uh, the boys with baseball bats to the oh. office. So, yeah, we, we just called the police and... Uh, and they sorted it. So sadly, you know, it, it's, uh, I think it's quite rare that it gets that far, but yeah. um, it's unbelievable that that happened. I think the, the key thing is, if, if you agree in, in this particular case, you had a contract. And yeah. I think there's a lot of people that start con- uh, start projects without any uh, former contract in place. And that just makes it uh, clear what happens and when, and it protects you should any um, uh, anything like that. Uh, was there any like other lessons that you learned from this particular horror story (laughs) oh yeah like uh, I am never like don't don't do not take on projects if you have a gut feeling that it's not gonna work out yeah and um, even if you need the money do not take it on like uh, I I, it's like I've been seriously like uh, for past two three years I've seriously grown into a person where I instantly say no if i get a slightest bit of feeling that this is not going to work out or this is not something i want to do uh, yeah. e- even if, it, if even if i want the money even if i don't have any money it doesn't matter do not stick it on it's not worth it yeah yeah absolutely because i mean when people talk about clients mm-hmm. at the end of the day it can actually be anyone and um you know people in general there are obviously nice amazing people but then there are unpleasant people like this individual Mm -hmm. you know when you offer him uh, a full refund and he demands payment of his time that is totally (laughs) unreasonable totally unacceptable and um you're right i mean that i I think one of the key things is is that anytime you see any kind of red flag and you have a gut feel that it's not going to be right for you then um turn it down you know run away from those situations i i just had to do that myself um i um i had a potential client who asked a thousand or well, not a thousand questions but on the initial call he, ha- he asked maybe like uh 10 questions mm-hmm. like really like detailed questions and then when after i sent over the uh contract he had another long list of questions and i thought if he's doing that 
at every single point for a basic logo design project? <laughs> what is he going to do when I send over the initial presentation, when I send over the files? He's going to do the same thing again and again, because how someone is in that sales process, mm -hmm. they're going to be exactly the same way during the actual project. So if there's any red flags, which you did see, mm -hmm. but you know, it's, it's one, uh, one of the first kind of probably the first time that you uh, had that gut feeling um it, <laughs> you need to turn these away because uh, you, you you never know where the uh, that situation could um end up so yeah. um a few lessons learned so aaron thank you so much for sharing that story where can people find out a little bit more about you okay so you can find me uh, on instagram scientist designs and uh, i have my website scientistx.design Thank you, Irene, for sharing that insane story with us. And thank you again to Katie, Ephraim, John and Carol for being part of this Halloween special, which I hope everybody has enjoyed. I shall link to your websites in the show notes, which can be found at logogeek.uk forward slash 101. All of these individuals are all members of the Logo Geek community on Facebook. So if you're not already part of that incredible community, just head to logogeek.uk forward slash community, making sure to answer all the questions or you won't get in. So I mentioned this at the start of the podcast, but anytime you experience a horror story like this, it's important that you take responsibility and learn from the experience, no matter whose fault it was. Although this episode was a bit of fun, uh, you can see that each story could have maybe have been avoided with a bit of preparation, be that having a contract, a better process, or being able to spot the red flags and run as soon as you can. And if you do need any support with any of that, I do recommend checking out Michael Jander's freelancing training course, which will help you to build a profitable freelance design business of your own. And as I mentioned at the start of the podcast, that does include loads of proposal and contract template documents as well. And you can find it by heading to logogeek.uk forward slash freelance. And there is an affiliate link. So if you do purchase the course, via that link you will be helping to support the logo geek podcast at no extra cost to you so again that's logogeek.uk forward slash freelance so i'd love to hear your thoughts about this experimental new format bringing in guests from the community uh, so ping me a message to let me know what you think i always like to hear from listeners and hopefully you like this new music too so that is it for this week but you'll be happy to know i'll be back the same time next week for another exciting episode of the logo geek podcast <laughs>